We're thrilled tonight to have a guest speaker. Elba Dolan uh, is over here from Brazil because she's going uh, tomorrow to London to the VI board meeting. The Vineyard Institute is what uh, the Vineyard does in terms of theological education and development of leader education across the world, and she's on the board of that. So we heard Elba would be here, and we thought let's uh, snatch the opportunity to have her come and speak here. She spoke this morning and we're thrilled that she's speaking tonight. So Elba oversees all the vineyards in the northern part of Brazil. And last night we were out to dinner with Andrew and Rosie McNeil, who on our team nationally oversee the Midlands, the North and Scotland, which is a pretty big area and takes a number of hours to get across. Uh, Elba volunteered that when she visits some of her churches, it's between three and five days by boat just to get there. So um, we felt rather better about looking after the UK and Ireland. So would you please welcome Elba Dolan. Boa noite. Tudo bem? You don't speak Portuguese? What's wrong with you people? Don't worry, we don't... We say that we don't even. Portuguese is a very complex language to learn. So my husband will tell you that. Well, it's uh, so good to be here. I really love this church. Really love the, the worship, the people. There's just a godly presence everywhere you go. I am very happy to be here. I am uh, really honored to be speaking to you tonight. So thank you so much for inviting me. Our church in Brazil sends you their love. I don't know, maybe some of you don't know, but uh, this year in May, Brazil was launched or released as an association of vineyard churches. And we had people from all over the globe who came to celebrate with us, because we are a global family. Every kind of language faces just so fun, so much fun, so exciting. And we greatly appreciate the support and the friendship of the Vineyard UK. You guys have been a part of all that's going on in Brazil through John and Eleanor, and it has been a great, great honor to work with you all. Just remember, though, that as a family, we stick together. We do not decide to separate on a later date. We are a global family, and we remain together, okay? Amen. Well, I love it that I can touch this political hot issue that you have, and you're not going to hold it against me. Anyway, um, I would like to take this opportunity to share with you something that I am very passionate about, and you will see why, and that's our God-calling gift. What are, what are we called to do in this life as God's people? And I've named this topic God's people are missionary people. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 67, and we're going to go through the seven verses, pretty much. And the Psalms tell us four things about God's mission. He talks about the fact of the mission, the character of the mission, the motivation of the mission, and the consolation of the mission. And we're going to see these things uh, very briefly. And we're going to start with number one, verses one and two, that says, well, i got to get my glasses to read. Psalm 67, one and two says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways 
be known on earth your salvation among all nations. So the first two verses, he combines the, the blessing of Aaron with the promise of Abraham. And blessing and mission come together when he says, bless us, O Lord, so that your ways will be known on earth. Bless us for a reason. Bless us so that we can be a blessing to the nations, and the nations will know your will and will know your salvation. So biblically, blessing and mission, they go together. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me too. There is a reason we, we receive the blessing. Later on, he came to the disciples and he said, you shall receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witness. We receive the Holy Spirit for a reason. On the day of Pentecost, uh, the Apostle John, the day the church was born, the Christian church was born, the Apostle Peter, sorry, told us to whom is the church, to whom the message of the gospel is for. And he said this, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. The, the, the church, this message is for us, it's for our children, but it's also for those who are far away from the Lord. And the tendency usually of all human beings and virtually of all churches is to live within. And, uh, you know, most of the time is people are asking, what about my needs and what about my marriage and what about my children and what about my pain and what about this and what about that? And I know you are not a church like that because I've heard of all the wonderful things you do for this community. But the reason many people think that church is for is to meet our needs, to heal our wounds, to help our marriage, to minister to our pain, to encourage discipleship. It's for our children, it's to help them to grow and uh, walk in the ways of the Lord, to learn how to be obedient followers of, of Christ, and that's all true. It's, it's, it's all true. The church is for that. But if we stay there, then we're just learning or living half of the truth. There, there's the exciting part, which is the church is also for those who are outside. That's the exciting part. The church is also for those who are far from the Lord, who are far from God, and we need to live the second half. The church and the gospel is for those who are far away from God, those people who are not connected to God, that are not connected to a Christian community, that do not belong to a Christian community. For those people who are not just away from the church, but they're away from the Lord. And the problem is that, at least in Brazil, I know your English people might be better than we are, but you know, people love to receive blessings but they don't want to be a blessing. They love to receive. It's fun. It's great. But when it comes time to be a blessing, to, to give blessing, it's a little bit difficult. And when you walk around, at least in the bigger cities, and you ask people, what, what is your job? What is your job description as a Christian? What do you do? What is your role? What do you do as a follower of Christ? You know, we, we get a few answers like uh, things like, well, you know, my job is to go to church on Sundays, or, you know, I think my job is, you know, be a good person, or, you know, be good, do something good from time to time, or, you know, give a little bit of money. 
help the poor a little bit, you know, just try to be, be a good, decent person. And, and I don't know about you, and this is all good, but I don't know about you, but when I, when I hear those things, I just go, oh my gosh, is that it? Is that really what being a follower of Jesus means? That, I mean, did Jesus die for that? So that we could be a little bit better people, that we could be a little bit fun, that we could go to church whenever we have time and give a little bit of money whenever we feel like. Is that why Jesus died and rose again? It can't be true. There must be something else. All those things are good, but there must be something else. Well, there is. Thank you, Jesus, there is. And Paul, in 1 Colossians 1, 15 to 20, we're not going to read, but the Apostle Paul gives us a description of God's mission. What is God doing on earth? What is God's mission? And he says that God is reconciling through Christ all things, all things that were broken by sin. The relationship between men and God, men and one another, and with nature. God is in the reconciliation, the restoration business. The mission of God was commissioned to God's people. The message of reconciliation was entrusted to us, the church, you and me. So the main basis of the church's mission is not just an idea or just a, a philosophical concept or even a abstract theological principle. The basis is a person named Jesus Christ. He's our model. And Jesus, I mean, the question we have to ask ourselves is, how can we be the people of God and not be a missionary people? It's impossible. Because when we read the Great Commission, here's what Jesus said. He said, all our third in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There is a Brazilian theologian that says that Jesus didn't command us to grow. He commanded us to go. Go everywhere. Go to every neighbor of yours. Go to every village. Go to every city. Go to every place. Share the good news. Go. We, are, we were commissioned to go. So we see three things uh, as the character of the, that's the fact of the mission. The character of the mission is how we do it. There's three ways we do it. The first one is sharing the, the truth, sharing the good news. Bless us so the whole world will know your will. We'll know your salvation. We're going we're gonna to proclaim your salvation. Bless us so that we will go and we'll let the whole world know who you are, what you've done through Jesus Christ. And then Mark says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You know, the, the sad thing is that a great majority of the Christians have neglected this aspect of the mission of sharing the truth, the commitment to share their faith. The first century church understood this really well. They understood 
that this was their job. That's what they were supposed to do. And the amazing thing is that these men were not educated, they were not sophisticated, they, were not, they didn't have money or position or power, even worse. They were persecuted, they were marginalized. In the end, they revolutionized the world. How? How was that possible? Well, they had three things. It looks like they had nothing, but at the same time, they had everything. What did they have? They have the same things we have. They had an amazing encounter with Jesus that completely transformed their lives. They had the power of the Holy Spirit, and they had the desire to obey. Three things. That's all we need. We need an encounter with Jesus that will change our lives forever. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, and we need the desire to obey. And Jesus is here. He's available to all of us. The Holy Spirit is here, available to all of us. The question is, are we going to obey? The, the third part is what, where we fail a lot of times. And after the Pentecost, those people went home, and they shared to their friends, they shared with their families. And what happened? What happened to their lives? What, what they had experienced with Jesus? And the gospel spread through the world. Every believer saw himself or herself as a missionary. To be a Christian meant to share your faith. The ordinary people of the church saw themselves, saw it as their own responsibility to share the good news. And Christianity was supremely a movement of lay people spread by informal missionaries. God called people, Jesus called people back then, Jesus is calling people today. How does he do that? He's, he's still calling just the normal, ordinary people like you and me. I want to share with you this story of this little girl. It's an amazing story, by the way. This girl was born in the jungle of the Amazon forest and with six brothers and sisters. Her family was very poor. They had no water, no running water or electricity. They actually had to walk miles away to the creek or to the river to do laundry dishes, get drinking water, and all of that. Her future in that village was to probably, by 14 years old, move in with a, a man, with a guy, have lots of children, and be beat up by him every time he came home drunk. That was the future of that girl, of the girls in that little village. Well, this family who her parents never went to school and decided that they wanted their kids to have the opportunity to go to school, so they moved to uh, a near city. And when they got there, they all had to work to help put food on the table to pay for school supplies. And this girl started working as a maid at the age of 11, cleaning houses, doing laundry, cooking, doing everything. This girl, even though she lived in the jungle, she had dreams that on the other side of the island there would be a better life, that there, there may be on the other side there is hope, there is a better way to live. And she had this deep longing desire inside of her for something better. The first time she watched TV at the age of uh, 12, 13, she saw some people speaking English and she thought that language was amazing and she wanted to learn that language someday become a teacher. Anyway, that girl tried to run away from home a couple of times because she wanted so much to discover what was on the other side. And her family never let her do. Nobody in her family ever did that. 
Finally, at the age of 15, she convinced her parents to let her go to a bigger city so she could go to a better school. As she got there, she had to find a job again. The only thing she knew how to do was cleaning so she could support herself. Her aunt told her, listen, there is a gringo family over there in the corner. Go, go ask them for a job. Well, this little girl went, and uh, it turns out that this gringo family was a missionary family who had just moved from Canada to be missionaries. And uh, they hardly spoke Portuguese. She hardly spoke in English. But they were able to communicate that they had the help or they didn't really need anyone. And uh, uh, if they needed, they would look for her. So her parents were visiting uh, from Canada and saw them talking at the door. And she said, what was she looking for? Was she, did, was she looking for food? And she said, no, she was looking for a job. And she said, why, the, why, why didn't, you, didn't you hire her? We need help. Well, the lady she had to help, help in her was sick and wasn't coming. Anyway. That little girl got saved through this missionary family. She surrendered her life to Christ. She learned and experienced this overwhelming and amazing love that this king, amazing king, would love her so much that would send his own son to die for her on the cross. That news just amazed her so much that it was just overwhelming. And if he was able to do that, then she was going to give her life and give it all. And she decided that he deserved her all, and she was going from that day on to serve him no matter how. Just do anything and everything to please her new king. And she did. She went from cleaning the floors of the church to helping in worship or with children or youth, just anything and everything. A year later, this family who came to Brazil from Canada to plant vineyard churches were moving to the Shingu River, a tributary of the Amazon huge river. Some parts of it, as you can see in the, some of the pictures that can go by, is eight kilometers wide. Sir Eleanor was embarrassed the other day to show me the Tamis River. Uh, and um, so this family invited this girl to go with them. And she did. She, she was about to discover the world. And they moved to the Shingu. Uh, with two Brazilian families were going to be, who were part of this uh, new church planting team. One of them was Milton. Milton was a practicing dentist. And every time they went to a village, Milton would park the boat, pull people's teeth out all day long, invite them back to the evening service, and plant a church. So this girl would be alongside Milton, helping him, learning how to do it. And all day long, they would go months completely gone in the river from community to community during the day, pulling people's teeth out, inviting them to the evening service. And that's how it all started. And I don't know, as you can guess, that girl is me. That girl is me. Through amazing love, people who were willing to say yes, all the way from Canada, would go and love on people and share the good news. Redeemed me, knowing Jesus completely, I am living the dreams of my life. 
not even knowing how he put it there because I didn't have any examples. Through all that, if you have any dental problem, you can talk to me after the service. It's free. <laughs> Promise you, it's pay free too. An encounter with Jesus changed my life forever. I get to participate in some of the coolest thing God is doing. I get to do things I've never even imagined I would do, like be here today. Not even in my wildest of dreams, I would think of that. And guess what? You have a jungle girl speaking to you tonight. Be careful. Don't mess with me. Why? Simply because someone was willing to share. And second, because I was willing to obey, just to say yes to every step, not even knowing where all this was going to go, just had no idea. And as a result of faithfulness, I own the house I used to clean. And I lead the people who led me to the Lord. When I was about 18 years old, I went to Bible school and I had this amazing experience with the Holy Spirit. A couple days later, I was uh, helping this pastor with this new church plant. And one of the, our meetings, he didn't come. And this lady came running, crying, looking for the pastor. And I told her he was not there. And she told me that her, her son was just breaking the house down and, and, and she need, he needed prayer. So I told her, I, I can come up and pray for him if you want. So she accepted, and I went there, not really knowing what I was getting into. I get to the house, this, I mean, the fridge is outside, TV, everything. He, he was just destroying everything. And I looked at him, and he, was, he came towards me so furious, and I knew what it was, because I grew up in a village where you see a lot of evil and demonic manifestation. I knew what it was, but I was scared. I, never, I had never done anything like that before. But I, I believed the word that the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's in me. And he said that I have the authority. So when that man was coming towards me, I just looked at him and said, Stop, you can't touch me in the name of Jesus. And he did. And I looked at my hand and I went, Wow, this really works. So now I'm full of courage and bold, and I just walk up to him rebuked that demon, commanded to go. He left screaming through the doors and windows. That man fell on the ground. He started crying, and I shared the good news with him. He gave his life to Christ. Life completely changed right there, 18 years old. From that day on, I knew that nothing or nobody could stop me, no one. And from that day on, as even early on, I had committed my life to Christ, that, he, that I was going to live for him, that the kingdom was going to come first. And I'm going to go away from my notes tonight because there's a lot of young people here. At the age of 16, when I surrendered my life to Christ, I said that he was first. And everything else had to come around that, the kingdom first. So college had to come around that. Marriage had to come around that. Kids had to come around that. And let me tell you something, people. A lot of times we're trying to fit Jesus into everything else. 
if you put him first, all the other things will happen. Because I've put Jesus first in my life, I have a wonderful husband. I have two amazing kids. I've got all the, the, the formal education I wanted and I, and I dreamed of. It all happened. Jesus comes first. And all the other things, I guarantee they will fall into place. It will follow you as he promised. And why am I telling you my story? Just like I am not the only one. There's so many people out there with stories very similar to mine. Men and women who are so ordinary people, simple, just they don't have money, they don't have power. Most of them have never even been to school. I was telling John yesterday, some of our pastors and our leaders who are leading whole communities don't even know how to read. They have solar portable Bibles. They put in the sun to, to recharge. They listen to the word. They preach to the community. People get saved and whole communities are being transformed. Listen, we don't need much. We just need people willing to obey. God will do the rest. Can I hear an amen? Because it does. He will do the rest. And I'm telling you this so that you know that our problem is not money. Our problem is not position. Our problem is not lack of training. Our problem is obedience. Are we willing to obey? Are we willing to say, yes, Jesus, I will do. I will go. I will do whatever you call me. One of the greatest problems that we face today as followers or believers is that not many believers or not all believers are obedient followers of Jesus. The main task of a disciple is to make disciples. All of us were called to make disciples. Disciples will make disciples and dozens become hundreds and hundreds become thousands. Why? Because simply because believers decided to obey the command of Jesus to make disciples. You know, the, 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 the command, the commission didn't change. Jesus didn't change. The mission is the same. But sadly, the process of discipleship making is being done by just a handful of people in the church. The rest of the body is not participating. But that, that's not what it was meant by Jesus. All of us were called. Actually, Peter... 1 Peter 2, 9, he says, Everyone is called to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Everyone who was integ in, in, integrated into the body of Christ through baptism received the command to go and make disciples. All of us. Each one of us. Brian McLaren says, For Christ, his called ones, is what actually means the church. We're all called are also his sent ones. And if that's the calling, if nothing has changed, why then the discipleship process is, made, is being done by just a few people? Well, there is a, a great church planting movement. And the, the way they describe, they use the analogy of uh, elephant rabbit. Do you know the difference? The Christian elephant, the rabbit, uh, Christ, the Christian, and here's what he says. If you put an elephant, two elephants, a male and a female, in a room for 22 months, at the end of those 22 months, they might have a baby elephant. And maybe not. 
Now, if you put two rabbits in the same room for the same amount of time, in 22 months, what's going to happen? There's going to be hundreds of rabbits. So here's what I believe. We need to stop being more like elephant and become more like rabbits when it comes to discipleship making. Can I hear an amen? amen. And I am saying discipleship making, not anything else. <laughs> what is the difference? Well, the, the Christian elephant you know, maybe in two years, they'll bring a friend to church. They will walk along someone to help that person grow into their faith. Maybe. They come and they eat and they receive. They, they receive blessings. They're fun people. But you know what? They never share anything. They never share their faith with anybody. The elephant Christians are what I, I call them big head, small hands. They think too much, they know too much, they analyze too much, they receive too much, and they do very little. And I'm sure you don't have those people here, only in Brazil. But here's, here's the plain truth about all this. You cannot call yourself a believer, a follower of Christ, and blatantly disobey the command to make disciples. We just can't, people. We cannot say he's our Lord and disobey him, just, just completely ignore the command to make disciples. It, it's an order. It wasn't an invitation, and it wasn't an idea. I love it when God called Moses, and he said, listen, you go to Pharaoh, and you tell him to let my people go. You know, if you read the story, you never see God saying, hey, hey, little Moses, how are you doing? How are you feeling today? How have you been? Hey, what do you think? I mean, would you be up to? Do you think this would be a good idea? Moses, do you think this would fit you, your calling, blah, blah, blah? No. He said, listen, you go. That's what Jesus said here. You go. I'm not calling you to a debate, and I'm not calling you to take lesson one, B, and C, go to class A, B, and C, how to make disciples. You share your faith. What has Jesus done to you? It's so simple. We make it so complicated. And part of the reason we complicate it is because we don't really want to do it. So we find excuses. The problem is that many believers think that everything that God says is just a suggestion. Come here. Let's hear. Come on, little John. If, if you feel like, if you have time, and you know if, if this fits your schedule, you know, if it fits you, I mean, and then what happens? We end up doing whatever we want, whenever we want, and just what we like or what we please. But let me tell you something. God expects obedience. Jesus said, teach them to obey. Jesus expects obedience from all of us. And what is, what is evangelism? It's overflow. It just overflows. What is in our hearts just comes out. I love it what uh, Charles Spurgeon said, evangelism is a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. This is evangelism. You know what? My life is not perfect, but I've met someone 
who is changing me, who is transforming me daily. And I know he loves you and he wants to help you too. I know where there's bread. I've been going there. So that's the first aspect of the mission, sharing the truth, sharing the gospel, telling people the good news. Second one is doing justice. In verse 4, he says, I'll read up there. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the people with equity and guide the nations of the earth. You are God of justice. You rule with equity. Our joy comes not only to know that God revealed in Jesus Christ, knowing that by his infinite grace and mercy we have been saved, we have been forgiven, but also to know that one day God will wipe every tear. He will fix all unrighteousness, every disease, every kind of poverty. And that's why as a sign of the kingdom to come, we fight against poverty. We fight against disease and injustice and against all forms of sin and evil. That's why Jesus, he fed the hungry. He identified himself with the lepers. He freed the captives. He healed the sick. He challenged the, the, challenged the structures of injustice with a message of power, love, and grace that was against, completely against the culture of his time. And the church cannot do otherwise because John says that whoever claims to live in him must walk as he did. How did Jesus walk? We must walk as he did. If you claim to be in him, you got to be like him. We got to do what he did. We cannot say that we are followers of Jesus and do not care about injustice and misery and poverty. David Bosch summarizes the mission of the church and he says, missions is the people of God living the gospel in words and deeds, breaking barriers toward non-faith and non-church. Pinepagilia, an American Latin theologian, says, as followers of Jesus, we're called to share the bread of life along with the daily bread. Those two come together. We have a project called Project Smile, and this is done by real dentists, not people like me. And these people come from the south of Brazil. We go on a boat for two weeks, and uh, all we do is take care of people. It's interesting how things change, because when we started in 1996, we would go pulling people's teeth out to plant a church. Now we go pulling people's teeth out to encourage the church to keep growing and, and remain there. And uh, one of these ladies, I mean, these are, these are very poor communities. We had in September one of the communities we went to, one of the ladies, very short, this dinky little thing, three months pregnant, 24 of her tooth were pulled out, right there. And we pull them out, we make dentures, they go home smiling, beautiful. But that lady came to me later on, and she said, my whole life I've lived in pain. And you loved me. You came all the way. And you took my pain away. She could not stop smiling. The happiest day of her life. And that stories go on and on and on. Hey, what's going on? Is it time up? Time up? 
on and on and on, many people, all the time. And the amazing thing is that a lot of these dentists are not believers, but all of them, as we come back after a week on the boat, they all will say, this trip has done for me what I could never do for those people. This has changed my life. To see how you love these people, to see how you guys connect with them, to see the need, to see how, how Jesus, we have never seen anything like that. And, us, and this, this trip, especially in September, we, we, our boat is really old, actually has a, a few cracks on the bottom, and we have a pump that pumps the water out as it comes in. And uh, we had a very, very bad storm. Very, very bad, very severe. The, the, the wind was so strong. And every time the boat hit the water, I was sure that boat was going to crack in half. And, and just imagine, we are in a part of the Shingu that's eight kilometers wide, dark, pitch dark. And I joke with my friend, Clenude, who is an amazing man of God, an amazing church planter who really understand nature. I'm telling you, these people travel in the Amazon pitch dark with no GPS. They know where they're going. And I told Cleodas, I said, should I find out who's the Jonah in the boat? Because we're going to sink if we don't do it. We've got to throw somebody out. And uh, I said, what, am I, what, what should I do? He said, just don't worry. It, it's, the Lord's going to come and he's going to rescue us. And uh, people start asking me what to do. Some of the dentists didn't know how to, how to swim. And I told them, well, there's only one person who can save us tonight. Do you know how to swim? No. Okay. Then there's only one person who can save you. And that's not me because I'm going to save myself. <laughs> and that's Jesus. We're going to pray, and we're going to ask him to come. And we prayed, and Jesus came, and the storm stopped. And, and a few hours later, as we're talking, what did you do? You know, people were saying different things. But in common, one voice, people were saying, I prayed to Jesus, and he came. This experience has changed my life. As we give life, we receive life. As we serve the poor, we're thinking we're really doing something for them. Actually, we're doing for ourselves. It is good for us to do it. That's why we do justice. We build a community. When the world look at the church and see the different people with different social status, loving each other, serving each other, forgiving one another, helping each other, carry their loads, crying with those who cry, and, and, and rejoice with those who rejoice. Forgiving each other, reconciling their differences, the gospel will be attractive to the world. Why? Because society lives the opposite of that. And there's not a better way to make the gospel accept, accept, acceptable than to live it among our brothers and sisters. Why do we do this? Why, why do we do that? If you ask me why do I do it, I'll tell you because I have so much fun. I have so much fun seeing what God is doing in people's life. I mean, it's, it's just amazing stories after another story. I have so much fun with what he's doing in my life. Why do we do it? Why should we do it? What, what's the motivation? The motivation in Psalm 6 to 7 is joy. 
How can we become these people who just love people, who do not condemn them, who share the truth without condemning or forcing them? The answer is joy. Everything we do for God should be done with joy, not out of obligation, not because the pastor is saying, but of a grateful spirit. I love it, the story when Jesus sent out the 72 missionaries or followers in Luke 10, and he sent them to preach the gospel. And they went, and it was amazing. They came back, and they were telling Jesus. They said, listen, Jesus, you're not going to believe this. Man, I'm telling you, man, oh, man, that was something else. I'm telling you, this trip was a success. You had to see how the demons were obeying us. It was amazing. It was powerful. And Jesus turned to them and said, listen, don't be happy because the demons obey you. Be happy because your name is written in heaven. That's where you should be happy. They went and they saw people being transformed and things were happening. They came back and it was all about them. Well, we were right. We have authority. We're the leaders. We're the, we're the new people. We're special. We know he loves us. I'm spiritual. Everyone wants me to pray for them now. Oh, I don't know. John, I don't know. I don't know how long he's going to be there. Because I'm telling you, God is raising me. The mission was success, and Jesus said, no, it was not. It was a disaster. You guys understood everything wrong. You are being happy or rejoicing in the wrong way. Because let me tell you something. Even though you are still living in this body, in this world, even if you do not do everything right, you are already a citizen of heaven. You do not need to boast on anything. You do not need to be sad about anything because someone was invited to the party and you were not because that person has a bigger ministry than yours because they have more resources than you do and blah, 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 blah. You are loved. I love you. I've sent my son to die for you. You have been accepted by grace and you have been invited to the groom's party. You have been washed by the blood of the land. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. And that's the motivation is joy. That's, that's what motivates me. It's joy. I, I can't thank him enough. I just can't. I can't do enough. I can't thank him enough for what he has done for me. That's the motivation. What is the consolation? Because it, it looks fun and it is fun and it's amazing, but it's not always easy. So why do we continue to do it? It can be frustrating at times. It, you know, not all people will hear us. They are not always going to listen to us or they're not always going to be nice and loving or they're not always going to talk good things about us. We're not always going to overcome poverty or evil. Some of the people we love and we pray for still will die. Why do we do it? In verse 6, has a word of consolation and encouragement to all of us. It says, the land yields its harvest. God, our God, has blessed us. And he's talking about the great harvest. He's talking about the new heaven and the new earth. He's talking about that day where everything will be restored. Everything will be transformed. No tears, no pain, no injustice, no disease, nothing. All of us will be blessed. The earth will be blessed. That's our hope. 
That's our constellation. We know the end that awaits us. We know how this is going to end. And let me tell you something, my friend. The proclamation of the gospel is the best and the most important news the human being can hear. Because the gospel through Jesus Christ is not a fiction. It is not a fairy tale. It's a reality. And it's the answer for the deepest longings of the human soul. And the world out there needs to hear this news. Will you share? Will you go? And if not you, who? And if not now, when? You know, if we failed, if we who live in this time fail, my gosh, to reach this generation with the seed of the gospel, then we have failed in our mission that was entrusted to us. And I don't know about you, but I have a dream. That's, that's my only dream. I don't dream of big things anymore. Actually, coming here, uh, and I'll finish with this. Coming here, we had, we're going through a fasting time in our church. We just do this community fasting. We're just fighting all kinds of spiritual realities. And uh, a lot of people were having dreams with me dying. And uh, I just had all this, this spiritual battle going on. And uh, uh, on the way to the airport, my husband said, so so how do you feel? I said, well, you know, I didn't really have any word from the Lord that I shouldn't go on this trip. And then I joked with him. I said, but honey, I mean, what would be the loss if I died? What, what would be the loss if I die on this trip? None. There's no loss. I mean, I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus. There's no loss. And he was a little hurt because, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to miss you. No, I'm not going to miss you. I'm going to be with Jesus. Why would I miss you? And I said, you know what? The only loss is that is Camille and Elisa, my, our girls. You know, they're going to miss their mom. And that's, that's the only thing about that makes me sad. But for myself, there is no loss. There is only gain. And he said, what about me? And I said, well, not even you, because you, you're going to be sad for a few days. But then you're going to marry again, and you're going to move on. <laughs> so really, not even for you. There's just no loss. You know what? I've lost my life long time ago when I gave my life to him. It's all his. I mean, living in this world, great. I get to participate in what God's doing. But let me tell you something. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Can't wait. Can't wait. I've given to him. I actually had no life and I found life. There's no loss when we come to Jesus and we give our lives to him. And I know many of us are really trying and struggling, trying to find meaning in life and purpose. Let me tell you something. There is someone, the creator of heaven and earth, who created you and me, who has a plan and a purpose for each one of us, not only to forgive and save us, but to invite us into what he's doing, restoring, reconciling, 